This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Thank you for listening to another episode of the RBFTT Rangers Battlefield for the Truth podcast. It is episode 39. Today is August 16th, 2022. It's a Tuesday and it's 2120. That's 920 p.m. for you non-military folks uh, here in Mountain Time and the state of Arizona. You can follow me on Instagram at podcast underscore rbftt again that's at podcast underscore rbftt to keep up with uh any of the new episodes dropping on spotify and on anchor and other other great content as well that is posted now in this episode i will be discussing how minnesota is now racist against white people more of Gavin Newsom and his clown world he, call, he calls California. More teenagers getting myocarditis. And how watching your carbon footprint by eating bugs is a good thing, according to the now European restaurants. Firstly, we're going to start with some COVID updates. Haven't gotten into some COVID updates recently, so... Got some pretty interesting stuff to share right now with you. This coming from Natural News. Study finds that 29% of teenagers develop heart problems following the second dose of Pfizer's mRNA COVID-19 vaccine. A new study from Thailand, 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 Jesus, has found that 29% of children who received Pfizer's mRNA Wuhan coronavirus, that COVID-19 vaccine, suffered heart-related effects afterward. According to the study, 29% or 88 out of the 301 students uh, that were tested experienced cardiovascular conditions following vaccinations. 54 of them had abnormal electrocardium cardium. Cardiogram, sorry, results. Six experienced uh, mitral valve prolapses. Six had high blood pressure and seven were diagnosed with heart inflammation. Now, these are studies that need to be shared. Whether they are peer-reviewed papers. See, I'm sharing them through the podcast I'm sharing them through Instagram. I'm saving them either on my, you know, like the Epoch Times apps, um, or I'm printing them out when I'm able to. I haven't been able. I used to have a thing where I was printing out all these studies and everything and articles and saving them in binders. I need to get back on that because in a world of censorship, you need hard copies. And I'm not talking about articles. I'm talking about also DVDs, books. Get yourself hard copies. But let's not get too far off of the subject here. Whether they are peer-reviewed papers on studies for America, Europe, Asia, etc., it doesn't matter. What matters is that we get this information out there into the public. Social media, podcasting, texting the links to friends and family. There's a reason these studies are not being covered by mainstream news. They don't want you to find this information. They definitely don't want you to share it. Is why you still have so many sleeping sheep out there who are more worried about the upcoming NFL season than what is actually happening in real life. 
I'm not saying let these events consume you, but and not to enjoy yourself. But you know, because we all need time to enjoy ourselves and get away from the clown world that we live in. But in today's age of information sharing, there's truly no excuse for being misinformed other than blatant ignorance. It's another article from the Science Insider. Blood abnormalities found in people with long COVID study impl implicates lack of key hormone battle-weary immune cells and reawakened viruses. An ambitious study of people with long COVID, the mysterious disabling symptoms that can trail a SARS-CoV-2 infection has turned up a host of abnormalities in their blood. The new study posted as a preprint last week was modest in size, examining just 99 people with long COVID, but it went very deep into the granular aspects of the T-cells, the antibody response, says Eric Topol, director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute, who is not involved in the work. He said, quote, this is exploratory, but it's the foundation for much bigger studies, end quote. The long COVID patients, most of them struggling with intense fatigue, brain fog, and other symptoms, had low levels of cortisol, a stress hormone that helps the body control inflammation, glucose, sleep cycles, and more. Features of their T-cells indicate their immune system was battling unidentified invaders, perhaps a reservoir of SARS-CoV-2 or a reactivated pathogen such as the Epstein-Barr virus. Other groups studying long COVID patients have reported similar results this year, including in a January 2022 cell paper that documented low cortisol in those with long-lived respiratory symptoms and reactivation of viruses in patients with neurological issues. The long COVID blood samples were also awash with a category of exhausted T cells that can be recognized by certain markers they express. Such cells surge in the ongoing presence of pathogens suggesting the bodies of people with long COVID are actively fighting something. This battle would produce chronic inflammation, which matches many long COVID symptoms. By measuring levels of antibodies against viral proteins released in the blood, the study also noted reactivation of the Epstein-Barr virus and other her herpes viruses whose genes can sit doormat inside infected cells for extended periods. Well, for starters, long COVID is something that they're using to cover up not only sudden death syndrome, which has had a 400% increase since the vaccines, but also long COVID is being used in a replacement of really you know for what these effects are being from the vaccines long COVID when they talk about long COVID they're talking about the vaccines they're not going to come out and say vaccines they're just saying oh it's long COVID you just you've had COVID for like a year that's the problem. Most of these people are getting long COVID. They're all vaccinated. And on another note, just with COVID, <clears throat> because you know it says that with the low levels of cortisol and stress hormone, that helps the body control inflammation, glucose, and sleep cycles. Uh, a good way to control inflammation is by eating more eating more meats like I had I take a lot of more uh, beef pills from heart and soil I got like a subscription with them and also with sleep cycles melatonin works wonders I take about 10 grams of melatonin 
every night, along with zinc. So that helps. But let's not get off the subject here. When did long COVID start to become an issue or a trend? I believe it was the beginning of 2021 when the vaccines were first being pushed out. It was even more of a common, sorry, it was even more common midway through 2021. And currently into 2022, we're now, according to the CDC, 70% of Americans have been vaccinated with at least one dose. When this article discusses the effects of long COVID, they're talking about the adverse reactions to the vaccines. Low levels of cortisol, a stress hormone that helps the body control inflammation, immune systems battling unidentified invaders, reactivated pathogens such as, such as the Epstein-Barr virus, neurological issues, exhausted T-cells, are all common adverse reactions and issues after taking the COVID vaccine. Now, while we're on the topic of medical issues, let's move into some sound clips of Gavin Newsom and the Democratic clown world he he calls California. Now, these clips are probably, what, a minute, minute and a half long each, but there's two of them. The first one is him talking of medical freedom that they have in California, not in red states. And the second one, he talks about how great the California education is and um, how such states like Alabama and other red states aren't doing anything. So when those clips are done, we're going to discuss that. Governor Gavin Newsom back with you with our universal pursuit to again seek the truth. And the truth is, why these red state governors that are preening and pretending to be about freedom, they're increasingly nothing more than just bullies. They're about power. They're about control. They're about a zest for demonizing and othering vulnerable communities. And the irony is, the great irony, they're taking away your freedom, your freedom to make choices, to make healthcare choices, your freedom to speak, to speak openly, even to your doctor. Even saw just this week what happened in Florida. They're going to deny doctors their freedom by arresting them and persecuting them for practicing medicine. Wake up. Wake up, America. This isn't Salem in the 1690s. This is America in the 2020s. If they could take your freedom of choice, if they could come after your doctor, they're coming after you next. Hey, everybody. It's Governor Gavin Newsom, and, and we're back here together in search of the truth. And the truth is, you're being misled, dare I say, being lied to. You know, red state governors, they, they talk a big game, don't they, about providing parents with education choice. But when it comes time to, well, walk the walk, they're absent. Let's take a look at how one state, in particular, just as an example, Alabama chose to invest versus what we did here in the state of California. Both California and Alabama received substantial amount of new money from the federal government. Alabama spent hundreds of millions of dollars of that federal money, 400 million to be exact, on two super-sized prisons. No investment in kids, no investment in real choice. California, on the other hand, has spent our federal money, invested it by giving three and a half million kids college savings accounts, giving them real choice about their academic future, giving them up to $1,500 in these accounts. Alabama chose to invest in prisons and punishment. California chose to invest in education and the future. That's the California way. America, it's time to make your choice. See, this is why I love California. As much as I love San Diego, and I really did. San Diego is really a, a beautiful city. I've lived there for the past 
15 years, maybe a little, just a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I really just got tired of seeing San Diego start to slowly become Los Angeles and San Francisco. It became increasingly tough to financially live a comfortable life there. But above it all, I got tired of having to deal with the psychopathic liars like Gavin Newsom and his fucking policies in California. When he says in his video that California offers freedom for doctors, does, does that freedom include not being able to speak about the negative side effects of the vaccines? Does that freedom include the bill that Newsom signed into law that makes it so that if you're a medical professional and you do not go exactly with the California COVID guidelines that you can be fined, terminated, loss of medical license, and serve jail time? Or how about when Newsom forced the nurses, firefighters, and police, just to name a few, to take a vaccine or be terminated? How about when his state was locked down and masked up the longest out of any state in the United States? Does, was he talking about that? Huh. I, I mean, I, I'm confused as to what he was, what type of freedom he was talking about. Because you don't have medical freedom in California. In fact, you barely have any freedoms in California. Or how about in his other Instagram video where he talks about California being a big spender in education compared to the red states? I mean, apparently Newsom doesn't even do his own research for his own state because according to PACE, Policy Analysis for California Education, uh, California's education funding crisis explained. California is the fifth largest economy in the world and the wealthiest state in the nation. The, goldest, the Golden State is home to countless tech giants and an enormous entertainment industry, major agricultural regions, and many other successful industries. California households earn a medium income of 71000 per year, more than 10000 above the national average. However, California's school funding, even before COVID-19, was insufficient to meet educational goals and goals and address the needs of students, particularly given the state's high cost of living. How can that be true? Why is education funding so low in California despite its wealth and comparatively, comparatively high tax revenues? After decades of underinvestment, California K-12 spending had nearly caught up to the national average before the current 2020 recession. In 2018, California spent 12498 per pupil compared with 12612 nationally, still well below other states like New York, Illinois, and New Jersey. Teachers and other school staff, like all workers in California, are paid more than those in other states. When adjusted for regional cost differences using the most recent comparable wage index data, California spends well below the national average and less than many demographical similar other states, similar states. California ranks at or near the bottom nationally when it comes to the number of students per teacher, guidance counselor, and librarian. Because salaries occupy a large share of the budget, that also translates into fewer books and classroom supplies. Huh. Someone should give that information to Gavin Newsom because, yeah, once again, doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Shocker. Uh, speaking of other clown world situations, other 
democratic hell holds. This coming from ABC4 News. School district will lay off white teachers before minority teachers per new union contract. An agreement struck between a Minneapolis teachers union and Minneapolis public schools now compels the district, in case of any layoffs, to get rid of white teachers before any teachers of color. Effective in the spring of 2023, teachers will be subject to job layoffs or relocations in order of seniority. However, in the case that a teacher is a member of a population underrepresented among licensed teachers in the district, the district may access meaning layoff or relocate outside of seniority order. The same measure of Paul applies to recalling or bringing back teachers who may have been let go for a variety of reasons. Wasn't that nice? Isn't that loving? Isn't that just liberal? Love to see the Democrats using racism to combat racism. Because that's worked well in the past, right? The KKK couldn't accomplish it, but maybe the Democrats can accomplish... Wait, hold on. Oh, wait, fuck. The KKK were the Democrat Party. Oh, well... I guess uh, we wish Minneapolis the best. You know, we, we wish them well. That's all I can say about that. So good luck with your racism, Minneapolis. Because they learned nothing from George Floyd. Continuing with uh, the wokeness. This is from uh, Epoch Times. Woke military policies to blame for recruitment crisis, service members say. The U.S. Army is expected to fall nearly 40,000 troops short of its recruiting goals over the next two years. Fiscally, uh, the, sorry, the fiscal year 2022 is expected to miss the mark by 10,000 troops, while the number in fiscal year 2023 could reach 28,000. Those figures mean that this year is on track to be the Army's worst recruiting year in almost 50 years. The Epoch Times reached out to the U.S. Army Recruiting Command for comment, and Major Charles Spears of the Combined Arms Center replied to various inquiries about the state of recruiting. Spears offered several reasons for the Army's recruiting challenges in the years ahead. Obesity, addiction, medical and behavioral health are the top disqualifiers for service. The Army is competing with corporate America, he added, adding that Social media's virtual public square shapes the values and perceptions of the American youth, which is increasingly unfamiliar with the benefits of the Army service. According to Spears, the American population is increasingly disconnected from serving in the Army and military service. Huh. Well, I mean, oh, sure. I, mean, I guess the reasoning for the decrease in the military recruitment is, is totally due to obesity drugs, behavioral health, and parents. It couldn't be due to the mass mandates, vaccine mandates, transgenders allowed to join, drag queen story time on military bases, attacks on soldiers who support Trump's, or the threat of World War III with China and Russia. No, it's none of that. It's none of that. It's because people are too fat. That's what it is. Yeah, Spears has got it right. Totally. Can't wait to see him at the next uh, drag queen story time uh, party on the on one of the military bases. Maybe he should hold. Maybe he should hold a recruiting uh, event at one of these uh, drag queen story time areas. So many people, so many drag queens and transgenders and liberal fuck faces, come over and fucking join. Fucking idiot. But, listen, enough about all that. Let's continue on with the episode. Let's talk about how you will eat the bugs and love your new carbon footprint. Now, I'm going to play a few videos. How long are these videos, by the way? Shit, I didn't look at it. 
Um, they're not too long. I think one's like, uh, what is it, TED Talk. One's like almost three minutes. The other one's about two minutes, 30 seconds. So um, as uh, before I discuss the videos, we'll play them, and then I'll talk about some of the articles that I have from the World Economic Forum. But the two videos that we'll be playing to start off this segment is TED Talk, Eating Bugs is Good. And then the next one will be uh, talking about how a new restaurant in England has a new carbon footprint uh, menu. For centuries, people have consumed bugs. Everything from beetles to caterpillars, locusts, grasshoppers, termites, and dragonflies. The practice even has a name, entomophagy. Early hunter-gatherers probably learned from animals that foraged for protein-rich insects and followed suit. As we evolved and bugs became part of our dietary tradition, they fulfilled the role of both staple food and delicacy. In ancient Greece, cicadas were considered luxury snacks, and even the Romans found beetle larvae to be scrumptious. Why have we lost our taste for bugs? The reason for our rejection is historical, and the story probably begins around 10,000 BC in the Fertile Crescent, a place in the Middle East that was a major birthplace of agriculture. Back then, our once nomadic ancestors began to settle in the Crescent, and as they learned to farm crops and domesticate animals there, attitudes changed, rippling outwards towards Europe and the rest of the Western world. As farming took off, people might have spurned bugs as mere pests that destroyed their crops. Populations grew and the West became urbanized, weakening connections with our foraging past. People simply forgot their bug-rich history. Today, for people not accustomed to entomophagy, bugs are just an irritant. They sting and bite and infest our food. We feel an ick factor associated with them and are disgusted by the prospect of cooking insects. Almost 2,000 insect species are turned into food, forming a big part of everyday diets for 2 billion people around the world. Countries in the tropics are the keenest consumers, because culturally it's acceptable. Species in those regions are also large, diverse, and tend to congregate in groups or swarms that make them easy to harvest. Take Cambodia and Southeast Asia, where huge tarantulas are gathered, fried, and sold in the marketplace. In Southern Africa, the juicy mopani worm is a dietary staple, simmered in a spicy sauce or eaten dried and salted. And in Mexico, chapulines are toasted with garlic, lemon, and salt. Bugs can be eaten whole to make up a meal or ground into flour, powder, and paste to add to food. But it's not all about taste. They're also healthy. In fact, scientists say entomophagy could be a cost-effective solution for developing countries that are food insecure. Insects can contain up to 80% protein, the body's vital building blocks, and are also high in energy-rich fat, fiber, and micronutrients like vitamins and minerals. Did you know that most edible insects contain the same amount or even more mineral iron than beef? making them a huge untapped resource when you consider that iron deficiency is currently the most common nutritional problem in the world. The mealworm is another nutritious example. The yellow beetle larvae are native to America and easy to farm. They have a high vitamin content, loads of healthy minerals, and can contain up to 50% protein, almost as much as in an equivalent amount of beef. To cook, simply saute in butter and salt or roast and drizzle with chocolate for a crunchy snack. What you have to overcome in ick factor, you gain in nutrition and taste. Indeed, bugs can be delicious. Mealworms taste like roasted nuts. Locusts are similar to shrimp. Crickets, some people say, have an aroma of popcorn. Farming insects for food also has less environmental impact than livestock farms do because insects emit far less greenhouse gas and use up less space, water, and food. Socioeconomically, bug production could uplift people in developing countries, since insect farms can be small-scale, highly productive, and yet relatively inexpensive to keep. Insects can also be turned into more sustainable food for livestock, and can be reared on organic waste, like vegetable peelings, that might otherwise just end up rotting in landfills. Feeling hungry yet? Faced with a plate of fried crickets, 
Most people today would still recoil, imagining all those legs and feelers getting stuck between their teeth. But think of a lobster. It's pretty much just a giant insect, with legs and feelers galore, that was once regarded as an inferior, repulsive food. Now, lobster is a delicacy. Can the same paradigm shift happen for bugs? So give it a try. Pop that insect into your mouth and savor the crunch. Bristol in the UK, the menu at a restaurant does not just let the diners know how much a dish costs. They can also check its carbon footprint. Our next report getting you the complete story. Take a look. The menu at a vegetarian restaurant called The Canteen in southwest England doesn't let diners know how much a dish costs. They can also look at the carbon footprint of the food they order. A carbon footprint is a total amount of greenhouse gases, including carbon dioxide and methane, that are generated by our actions. The food industry is a beast in terms of like carbon emissions and pollution and stuff. So if anyone can make a bit of effort to try and cut that down, then yeah, it's, it's a positive thing. The carrot and beetroot pakora with yogurt sauce is responsible for just 16 grams of CO2 emissions. And the aubergines with miso and harissa sauce with tabule and za'atar toast cost 675 grams of carbon dioxide emissions. Compared to a hamburger, the dish the restaurant does not serve, these veggie dishes have a much smaller carbon footprint as customers weigh their options the menu includes a comparison with the emissions from a UK-produced hamburger, which is around three kilos. I think it's interesting. However, when I go out to eat, or normally go out for enjoyment, right? But if you could tell me what, if I went shopping, for example, eating at home, what my carbon footprint was for my shop, I'd be much more inclined to change what's in my shopping basket. But when I go out to eat, I just want to enjoy it. I don't want to know the calories. I don't want to necessarily know the carbon footprint. However, looking at the beef burger is quite something. The menu also notes that a real beef burger's emissions are 10 times the amount of its vegan alternative as countries scramble to limit global temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius and to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. The carbon footprints of businesses and consumers have come under growing scrutiny. In July, the canteen became the first restaurant to agree to put its carbon footprint on the menu under a campaign led by a UK vegan campaigning charity, Viva. And I think people are a lot more aware nowadays that the climate crisis is here and that they have to act. And obviously, we hope we're urging the government to act by, for example, implementing carbon counting. But it's also really important that people know people powers a big, big driver for change. According to UK government figures, the average British person has an annual carbon footprint of more than 10 tonnes. In order to meet its international climate change commitments, Britain has set the ambitious goal of reducing harmful emissions by 78% by 2035, compared with 1990 figures. The livestock industry replaces carbon-absorbing forests with land for grazing and crops for cattle field the animals also belch huge amounts of methane, a potent greenhouse gas. Experts from the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change have said that switching to a plant-based diet is one of the most effective ways for an individual to reduce their carbon footprint. We are a report, we on World is One. We are now available in your country. Download the app now. Get all the news on the move. Okay, welcome back. This are again, we're going to go through these articles before we kind of dive into those other videos that you just listened to. This coming from the Epoch Times, World Economic Forum, the WEF, publishes article calling for global censorship using AI and human intelligence. An opinion article published on the World Economic Forum website has proposed creating an artificial intelligence program that could end up acting as a comprehensive global censorship tool. Since the introduction of the internet, wars have been fought, recessions have come and gone, and new viruses have wreaked havoc. While the internet played a vital role in how these events were perceived, other changes like the radicalization of extreme opinions, the spread of misinformation, and 
the wide reach of child sexual abuse material have been enabled by it. The article mentions the importance of deciphering the coded language used by child abusers and pornographers to disseminate um, what does that say? Yeah, the child uh, child porn and removing the content before it's widely shared. But along with this, Goldberger also mentions that the AI would be used to detect extremism and disinformation and hate speech. Now, before I go on the other article, I just want to say when they talk about child abuse, um, they're really they're not talking about actual child pornography or child abuse. What they're talking about is like, for instance, for example, me spreading information about Hunter Biden, his child pornography on his laptop. Talking about Pizzagate, talking about Jeffrey Epstein, how that's how they're connected with Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and and and, and Bill Gates and Tom Hanks, um, lost the Lost Boys on Bird Island. If you don't know what that is, look that up. Lost Boys on Bird Island. I made a post about that on my other account that got deleted. Because of that post, um, it's basically a post about this, uh, I think this South African, I believe, de detective that was investigating possible child trafficking and like basically sex trafficking with children on this fucking island that they call Bird Island. And he wanted to investigate it. And the department said, no, you can't investigate it. Leave the fuck alone. And so he quit the force and became a private investigator and found all this information about it, wrote a book about it. This is all verifiable. You can look this up. Wrote a book about it. And then a week before his book was to be sold on Amazon and in other places like Barnes & Noble's, he gets killed. They found him shot in the head in the middle, uh, like a mile outside of his fucking home in the middle of a farm. And then a few days after, he, he got shot and killed. His book is erased from existence. You literally cannot go on Barnes & Nobles or Amazon or anywhere at all and get that book. I posted some shit about that. And they said that's fucking... It went against the community guidelines. So when they're talking about child abusers and shit like that and child porn and all this other shit, that's what they're talking about. They're not, they're not looking to uh, get rid of actual child abusers and child pornography. No, 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 no. They're looking to get rid of the people who are bringing awareness to it. That's what you have to understand. That's why they say, and we'll talk about it in a bit, the radicalization of extreme opinions. Think about that. Extreme opinions. Your opinion is extreme. This article from the Epoch Times, the World Economic Forum wants your face. The World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland, uh, this is an older article that I found, uh, in Switzerland recently ended, the theme of the five-day event, Working Together, Restoring Trust. Among the many issues discussed, members focused on the spread of mis misinformation and disinformation. How, they asked, can the proliferation of harmful content be combated? It's easy, they answered. How about introducing digital IDs? Digital IDs may soon be the norm. In the United States, as analysis at Reclaim the Net recently reported, the United States Postal Service, USPS, 
is pushing for the introduction of digital IDs. The USPS wants to have a more prominent role in biometric data collection and digital ID services. More worryingly, the USPS is already partnered with the General Services Administration and the FBI, two prominent biometric data collection pilots. The bad news doesn't end there. As I've discussed elsewhere, the, in the Internal Revenue Service also wants your face. So to end the episode, let's uh, get into the last two articles and the the TED Talk, Eating Bugs, England's New Carbon Footprint Menu uh, sound clips. Let, let's, get in, let's get into all that. Dive into that a little bit as we end the episode here. This is what they... They, as in the World Economic Forum, the elites, the liberal world order, the Democrats, rhinos, corrupt politicians, Bill Gates, satanic worshipping celebrities, you name it. This is what they want for you. But not for them. See, they're not going to have digital IDs. Okay. Um, you will. Because they need to understand where you're going to go, what you're doing. They will get to eat top-tier meats, drink alcoholic beverages, speed on highways in comfort, fly in their private jets, live in mansions guarded by walls and armed guards, all the while you are concerned with your carbon footprint. And what you're going to be doing on the metaverse. When they talk about digital IDs and global censorship, they are talking about censoring people or groups of people who are anti-world order government. When the government or WAS speaks of radicalization, they are speaking about you, your opinion, the useless eater who is still clinging on to its freedom, its rights as a human being. What, what does it mean to be radical? And why do governments love using that term? Right? They love using radical like they love using conspiracy theorists. Radical or radicalization is just the action or process of causing someone to adopt radical positions or political or social issues. When someone starts to believe or support extreme views. Extreme views could be anything. Anybody could be a fucking radical. I mean... Me not believing in masks or me being unvaccinated, that could be, oh, you're you're a radical. You're extreme. You have extreme views. No, I don't have extreme views. It's that's just my view. Just like you know, the a lot of the Democrats who think Joe Biden is doing a great job. Or that Trump is racist. I could sit here and say, whoa, that's that's radical. <sighs> You've been radicalized by the left. That's an extreme view. It's not extreme. Maybe for you, just like just like whatever, like like if I go out, it's the equivalent to when you see someone running like 15 miles a day. Uh, who's that guy? Uh, David Goggins. Look him up if you don't know who he is. 
David Goggins. Dude runs like 10, 15 miles a fucking day, man. It's just fucking insane. But see, it's insane to me. It's crazy to me. But it's not crazy to him. It's normal. It's the same thing. If I might think that someone who plays, I mean, I like playing video games, Madden, Call of Duty, whatever the fuck, but somebody who gets paid to play Madden all fucking day, every day, to me, that's extreme. That's radical. (laughs) But it's not radical or extreme to them. That's just a normal way of living for them. So really, it just depends on your opinion on that person and whether or not they're extreme or not. See, if you believe, what it comes down to is that if you believe in something that the establishment doesn't want you to believe in, you're a radical. You're extreme. You are... A conspiracy theorist. You are a domestic terrorist. You're, you're, you're a threat to their system. If you question their authority or their agenda, you're a threat to their system. Now, I don't want to be ranting about this forever. If I could. But to end things, not so much on a dark note. um, I do have some good news. That I want to end this episode with. I just received this news a few minutes ago, actually. Liz Cheney in Wyoming, just lost to the ultra-maga, Trump-endorsed Harriet Hagman and will now be the Republican representative for the upcoming November midterms. Liz Cheney, the rhino. That's a major, major win. See, This is why we spread the truth about the new world order, liberal world order, whatever the fuck you want to call it, globalist, one world order, evil Democrats, rhinos like Liz Cheney, whatever you want to fucking call it. There's many, just like, you know, people who are religious and believe in Satan. He goes by by many names. The order goes by many names. You have to keep spreading the truth. No matter who the fuck calls you extreme, calls you radical, calls you domestic terrorist, calls you a racist, calls you a bigot, Says you're, you're not, you're, you're following the disinformation of Fox News, even though I don't watch Fox News because Fox News is corrupt. You're always oh, disinformation of you're 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 pro Russia, you're a Putin lover, you're an anti-masker, you're an anti-vaxer, uh, climate change denier, uh, you don't think Black Lives Matter. On and on and on and on. The names will continue and they'll think of new shit to call you. <laughs> they'll, they'll think Ultra MAGA. That's the new one. Ultra MAGA terrorist. The fact that they're calling all of us that and they're calling for global censorship and digital IDs and trying to get people normal to eating bugs and all this other fucking shit. 
means in the words in the words of Alex Jones, we're over the target. Keep fighting the good fight. Don't give in. The people are waking up. Slowly. But they're waking up. It took a fake pandemic. I call it the plandemic. It took that and tyranny to spread across the United States these past two years. For people to wake the fuck up. And maybe, slowly, people waking up, but maybe, just maybe, perhaps it's just in time to win this battle against evil. Thanks for listening, guys. Again, follow me on Instagram. Podcast underscore RBFTT. Uh, continue to look out for new episodes on on the Instagram. When I post up new uh, new episodes on Instagram, you'll see it on the post. It's usually a reel, or usually in the story mode, I'll have just a post of like Spotify, have like an episode whatever title with music and whatever the fuck attached to it, and then the reel kind of has the same thing. Those are new episodes that are being dropped. You can get them either on, on Anchor or on Spotify. And on the, if you look at my profile, uh, the profile page, it actually has the account um, link, not the, well, not the account link, but the link to the podcast to, to Spotify. So again, thanks for listening and stay tuned for episode 40.